The text that the meditation will be based on today comes from Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. Just page 595 in the Black Bibles around you. Isaiah 35, 1-10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have anxious hearts, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And they shall, uh, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there. And that shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's pray. Father God, I pray in these moments, as we've been praying all season long, that in the midst of the hurried distractions of the season. You might give us your spirit to give presence in this moment. And not presence like Christmas presence, but our presence in this moment to hear from you, to receive the goodness that you've declared that this is a real prophecy that is coming in real time and real fulfillment. There is a day and a very real day where you will set what has been broken in this world. You will write sin and righteousness in our hearts. You will put us into a form that is fully human, fully alive, and a world that is full of flourishing, the way that it was made to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us this vision, and this would give us a deep and satisfying and real joy, not one that comes and goes with a seasonal influence but one that permeates and persists and defiantly looks at the one who thinks he rules this world, but yet very much so knows he's on his way out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, shows us that Christmas is deathly serious about joy. Next few days are joyful for most in this room. We've talked already at length about how sometimes the holidays are conflicting time. But for most of us, whatever's planned for the next week is probably set up for you. Some sense of anticipation, some sense of, okay, I've made it to this point and I get to sit and enjoy this moment. But I've been listening to Christmas songs regularly uh, throughout the month. And one thing I've noticed that is a consistent theme is the theme of 
why can't the joy of Christmas remain consistent throughout the whole year? Why can't there be a sense of a general joy and love and a peacefulness that exists in a small slice of December extend throughout our entire lives? And joy, ultimately, to us, I think becomes a cliche word. Like, it becomes something where... I don't know how we got so cynical as a culture, but if you meet anyone who's like deeply joyful, the first thing you do is you like put them off into a category of some naive character in a TV show that you've seen. And then you start to like think about the fact of like, I bet the joy that they have is either A, fake, or B, it's just untested. And after life kicks them down a few more times, they won't have that smile on their face anymore. Because ultimately, there's something cynical in my heart, and I'm guessing yours, that puts us like an image that was given to me this week of like kids looking in the toy store window, which I know you've got to go back to a time where you actually bought toys in stores. But even so, that you're looking through the toy store window of towards the gifts and the things that you just know you probably won't get. And so it just puts us like on the outside looking in towards joy, being like, that's something I want, that's something I desire, but because of all these circumstances going on in my life, I just don't see it as being a real possibility. But as followers of Jesus, we are called, and particularly in the Advent moment, to a defiant joy. There is something intrinsically defiant about joy, You saw this in Port-au-Prince after the 2010 Haiti earthquakes. The news goes down to cover of what is the devastation that's surely going to be found in the midst of the capital of Haiti. I mean, surely there's just going to be like, you know, the classic weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yes, there was for sure. But they took a few days to just report on this movement that began out of nowhere, seemingly, where people, mainly women and children, marched through the streets singing. There was a sense of a defiance in their eyes of that we are going to defiantly hold on to joy, particularly when things are darkest. Movements all throughout history have bared this up. Both slavery and the civil rights movement are marked by some of the most joyful songs that come out of that era because there was a regular call and a regular persistence to say, It won't be like this forever. That this is not the final word. And ultimately, we are called as Christians to hold on to a defiant joy because we live in the shadow of death. And we've been saying this all throughout this series in Isaiah. Isaiah is almost a broken record with regularly showing that we live in a world that is broken by sin. And living in the shadow of death is everything from the fact that one of the tracks on my garage door just decided to pop out of its place this week and we can't use it anymore until we figure out how it just magically popped out, all the way to the point of I get another phone call from my family telling me yet another high school friend has passed away. And my, I, I opened up the series talking about one that actually passed away at the beginning of the series, and at one point... My wife said, like, you've had more people die from your high school than anyone else. And I said, is that really the case? Or is my town just small enough that we've kept enough? You just walk around town and you're constantly finding out that this is a persistent reality in our world. And it's not right. It wasn't made to be like this. It's the most natural thing. 
And ultimately, this is the effect that sin has had on the world. That the beginning when humanity decides to go their own way, when you and I decide to go our own way, to say, thank you, God, for creating us, but ultimately, I will define what is good for me. I will define what's best for me on my own terms. We end up putting chaos into the world. God shows up in Genesis 3, and he says, the ground is now cursed because of you. None of this is going to work right anymore. It's not just trafficking and the fact that there are people that need to flee their country because of oppressive governments or because of uh, the natural disasters that have befallen them. It's very much so those natural disasters that are very much so a result of my sin. That a result, as I watch the news, as you watch the news, it's not to say this is a one-for-one, I've sinned, so therefore this diagnosis happens, but rather is to say that these diagnoses are in the world because my sin has perpetuated chaos in the world. And we all have. But ultimately, it says that in the Bible, this world is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. Which I don't know if I fully understand that phrase, but it makes sense in this way. That even the air is controlled by one who is lying, who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But ultimately, Christmas is a time where we come to this point of year to remind us every year that our God is good, he is in control, and he is on the move. Look at verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are anxious in heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. See, ultimately, as I was thinking through this week and as I was thinking through this year, this idea of just like strengthening weak hands and feeble knees and anxious hearts, I thought, man, this really kind of defined the year for myself. And because I've talked with a lot of you, I know that's defined the year for you. Of There's just been like a weariness to this year for me of just like looking at my own sin and being like, God, I thought that sanctification and growth in the image of Jesus was going to go a lot differently than this. And then just like looking at circumstances in my life and, and being like, God, like things keep, we, we keep pushing them forward and it feels like things keep getting pushed back week by week, day by day, hour by hour. It produced just a huge anxiety in my heart for most of this year. There has been a long weariness. But ultimately, God says, hey, be strong. Fear not for I am good, I am and I am on the move. Ultimately, he says, I want you to become like Dumbledore. Now, I don't know if you are into Harry Potter. It is, whether that is your bag or some other story, you have a character in mind who is like Dumbledore in those stories. There is this character who seems to have this omniscient peace about them that seems to have an indomitable, stubborn joy about them. That it is not in the absence of danger and darkness rising that they seem to be able to express their joy most overtly, but rather in the presence of darkness, their joy somehow gets stronger. They seem to watch darkness get the upper hand in a twist or turn, and almost as if to know that the very turn that made darkness get the upper hand will be its very undoing. 
Because if you know the story of Harry Potter, if you know the character of Dumbledore, you know that in the stories, he is aware of a prophecy. He is aware of how the story ends. And he doesn't know how it gets there. He doesn't know how we get from point A to point Z and everything that comes in between. But he knows ultimately, it's as if he can sit back and say, isn't that interesting? How darkness seems to be winning right now. Because I know the ending, everything that darkness does ultimately will become its undoing. I can't wait to see how this is going to turn with the great reversal of all joy for all people. There was an article I read this week, um, and in it, Elizabeth Gilbert, who is an author, she's written Eat, Pray, Love, and, and a number of other things, talked about an interaction she had with her great aunt, Lolly, in which she came into the room one day, and her great aunt, Lolly, looked at her with a smile and said, they tell me I have cancer. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know if Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, was in the mind of Aunt Lolly in that moment, but that completely reflects the attitude of it. An idea of, isn't it interesting how darkness seems to be getting an upper hand right now? Isn't it interesting how this certainly looks like this should be against my joy, but yet because I know the end of the story, because I know my God is a good father who gives good gifts, I know that everything he gives to me Everything he gives to me ultimately is an act towards my deepest joy. It's towards my deepest good, and it's towards the restoration of all things. When we will look out at the wilderness, the wilderness to these people was the most vile and evil of places. It's why when Jesus meets Satan in in the moment after being baptized, he goes out to the wilderness to meet him there. That's where Satan would hang out in their minds. It says, man, even the wilderness is going to spring up. It's going to sing with joy. And then I love in verse 10 where it says, And the ransom the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. I don't love the uh, translation of obtain. I read another translation where it said it's actually more like gladness and joy will overcome them. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I don't want to be glib. I don't want to talk about anything that you're experiencing and say, oh, you should just put on a Pollyannish, isn't this interesting? God's going to make it all right in the end. That as Christians, we're those who are called to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn because ultimately we recognize that it's not right for darkness to even get the upper hand for one moment in this world. But yet we do so with a indomitable, stubborn joy in each and every moment that says ultimately we can watch and wait because behold, our God is actually doing this for our good. Christmas is the ultimate fulfill of the isn't that interesting story. I mean, you get a moment where the king of the world is coming in to take on all the powers that be, and he shows up in the lives of peasants who are too poor to afford a room in the inn. Yes, there's the whole, it was too full, but let's face it, they were poor. They're dealing with the best that they can. 
Isn't it interesting that then this person who is going to save the whole world is first declared and his presence is told by the angels to shepherds, people whose testimony was not permittable in a court of law because of their lowly position. Isn't it interesting that then he immediately, this king of the world, goes on the run because the rightful king of the area decides he doesn't want to share his power and puts a death sentence on everybody, all boys under age two, and so they have to flee to Egypt. And isn't it interesting that the ultimate isn't it interesting moment comes when this man who lives a life of beauty, of perfection, of full humanity, the way that we were meant to be, is crucified on a cross. A moment where it, in all intents and purposes, it is to say darkness has won in this moment. Darkness defeats your God. And he says, no, just watch what I'm doing that darkness's greatest hour will actually be its undoing. That my perfect, spotless blood will now cover all who claim on me and all who cling to me and will wash away their sin, not only in this moment, but over time will sanctify and grow them and make them fully who they were made to be, if not in this life, then fully in the next. And my resurrection, my getting up from death, shows that death has died, but it could not keep me down. And so that death will not have the ultimate world word, life will. And things will all be redeemed. Things will all be made new. This world is not getting torched someday and we all go off to the sky in the great by and by. But rather, God says the prophecy ends with him coming down to make earth his home and heaven and earth will be forever joined and darkness will flee and disease and the blind eyes will open and the lame shall walk and all will be as it should. And so in this moment, in 2018, I don't know where God has you. I don't know what he's doing in your life. I don't know what he's going to do in 2019. But ultimately, we as Christians are called to the most defiant, stubborn joy of saying, isn't it interesting how my God is going to come and redeem all of this? He's going to come and redeem me. And as I hold on to him, I hold on to hope transcends even the darkest of hours. And in this moment of holding onto these things, I, I would say in the next week, whatever it has for you, pursue joy. Experience the goodness that God gives to us. Experience all that this next week has to offer. And then the following week, wherever that leaves you, then stubbornly, defiantly, pursue joy. Pursue all the good that God has given us. Pursue, and this isn't a passive. This isn't just sitting by and letting all things go. Rather, it's saying, no, as I fight for justice to move into this world, as I fight for the kingdom of God to move in this world, even the turns that look like it's set my cause back with a death blow, ultimately I know it will just rise it higher. I read a quote this week from a woman in our congregation who's been doing a lot to just pursue justice um, in our city and in our nation, uh, particularly in some of the refugee crises that are going on. And she said she was just moved in her work by the idea that, I'll augment it slightly for our purposes, the kingdom of God is not an explosion. It's a candle 
that stands up in the darkness and increasingly grows stronger and stronger and stronger until light redeems and pushes darkness out of every corner of this world. That's the cause that we're on, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. And so let us in this moment, let us in this week, let us in this next year, hold on to the defiance of joy that says the prince of the power of this world, you are on your way out. And our king, behold our God, will come. And he will make all things new. And he's working even now, even in this. I call you, if you are a Christian, if you are holding on to these truths, if you hold on to ultimately the cross as the, what is redeeming the work and the darkness in you, to come and take communion with us. The way that we take communion is that there's stations around the room and that you come and tear a piece of the bread off and dip it in the cup. Bread representing the body of Christ, which was broken for the sin of the world and the brokenness that we see. The cup representing the blood of God, the blood of Christ that was shed to cleanse us whiter than snow. And so in a moment, you can come. There'll be stations up here in the front, my left, your right, in the back center, and in my front right, your left, there'll be gluten-free stations as well. Let me pray for us now. Father God, Lord, I pray for you to give us peace in this season, give us joy in this season, but let it not be limited to this season. And let it not be limited to just the next seven days. But Lord, let it extend out as we are those who like a character that knows the end of the book, sits back and watches and wonder how you can possibly be bringing about all your good purposes in everything that's going on in our lives right now in this moment, everything that's going on in our country, in our world right now in this moment. Lord, let that give us a joy that is indomitable. And let us fight for it in each given moment. Lord, the call of Christmas is to do so. The burden and the necessity of Christmas is to do so. So Lord, grant it through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.